The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. All right, I'm joined today by Diane Godfrey from the All Rise podcast. Diane has the most amazing Boston accent that that I've ever heard. I'm super excited for I don't even care what we talk about. I just <laughs> Park the car in the Harvard Yard. There it is. There it is. <laughs> oh, and uh, of course I'm joined by Erica. Uh Diane, she's got up and she's doing something. We lost her. I had to shut the window because <laughs> the traffic was starting to seep in. Sorry about that. Gotcha. Boston traffic. I love that. I didn't think you'd notice. Oh, I think well, with the accent, I just keep waiting for it to be like, like, fuck off out there. Yeah. Just, like, out like, the get window. the fuck off of my sidewalk. This is how we say it. Fuck off. Fuck it. There it is. <laughs> Oh, uh, and I just found out we're not called mass holes for nothing. Mass holes. That's great. You know, I used to have a family member that lived in uh, Nashua, New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, he called you mass holes. Everybody down, <laughs> down in Massachusetts. We deserve it. <laughs> and uh, Erica, you said you're tra- you're about to travel to Boston, sort of. Yes. Yes. Well, yes, I'll be spending probably a few hours trying to drive out of Boston into New Hampshire. <laughs> Apparently there's it, a lot of construction. <laughs> we call it cow Hampshire affectionately. <laughs> what does, what does cow Hampshire mean? Because it's really like, it's rural compared to, you know, the greater Boston area. It's just a, we, we oh, love New Hampshire New is Hampshire. cow Hampshire. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We love, we love it. We, you know, always go up there. We love Maine and Vermont, you know, New England, New England rocks. That I've had, uh, I've I've always had the best crab I've ever had in uh, oh, New England. One of my favorites. In Maryland, what about the lobster? What see, about the lobster? See, I have. God damn, I love the way you talk. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been that far, so I've I've spent a lot of time in Maryland, but I've never made it up to other, other than when I was a kid when I went to New Hampshire. But I've never made it up to like Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Maine, and that's where the lobsters at, right? That's where mm-hmm. you want to get the good lobster. Yeah, we have. Well, Maine is known for the lobster, but Boston has unbelievable seafood. And um, yeah, but I must say, if you do come, this isn't a false promise. If either of you guys ever come, call me and I'll give you a tour all around. I'll oh yeah, show you the whole thing. One hundred percent, Diane. That's yeah. actually why I do the the whole reason I do this podcast is to, so like a few weeks ago I was in Nashville and I called up uh, Brandon Hall from Music City Nine One One. To tell me all the good places to eat and meet up and have drinks and stuff. So I try to, I'm trying to set up a network of every major city in the country so that when I travel, I have tour guides. Yeah, I'll I'll help you out. I love it. I mean, I pause, I know there are a lot of cool places in the United States, but I just absolutely love Boston. OMG. I just, I love the place. I'd never move away. I love it. With all its warts and imperfections. It's just really wonderful. It has a lot of redeeming qualities. I would, is it true that Boston is the cocktail city of the world as well? I've never I've heard, heard that. somebody. Of I've course. heard somebody say that. Of course, cocktails. that's all that's on Erica's radar is yep. what kind of cocktails they have. 
I know we're half. We're only halfway through Monday, and I'm already thinking about the weekend. <laughs> it's showing my age because I have no flipping idea. I don't know what after I go to bed at night, but God knows. Well, uh, maybe I'll try and test it out while I'm there. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm. I was jealous a couple of years ago. My daughter went on a class trip to Boston, and my wife got elected to be the chaperone that went with, and she loved. I, I love all the old history and stuff all the, out there, like the, the old architecture, everything. Like I, I would, and she got to go to a game at Fenway. I've never been to Fenway. Yeah. She got to do it all. And she didn't appreciate. Oh my it. god, it, it's 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 surreal, Fenway Park. It it, but you know what? It's smack in the middle of Boston. It's like the, it's in the strangest place. Like the city grew up around it. You know what I mean? And they preserved it. And they've had really ingenious ways how to like get more revenue. Like they've added seats where you'd never think it was possible, but yeah. they do it. Um, but, you know, that's a very, very good take. But, you know, if you're a history buff, like when I worked at the courthouse, I, I was, I'm a court stenographer and I worked at the Superior Courthouse for, oh God, 30 years in Bo downtown Boston in government center. And I used to walk over the Boston massacre site twice a day. You know, it's, it's like this uh -huh. Thing and you know a commemorative mm -hmm. thing inside the the sidewalk, and I used to walk over that spot twice a day. So hmm. it's all there. The whole you know the whole bit is there. So if you like history, come walk the Freedom Trail. Yeah, we're for sure going to do that. My so my wife has family that lives in Springfield, Massachusetts. I think that's Massachusetts. Yep. Yeah, that's where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So we want to. We've been planning for years is to take like two weeks and just go up the northeastern. Uh, northeast seaboard sea, but I can't speak that area over there on that side of the country. Uh, I know what you mean. Where they got the lobster uh, and uh, <laughs> go catch a go catch a Red Sox game and uh, and check out the whole. I'd like to. I'd love to like start in like D.C. and then work up through Boston and into Maine and all of that. You know, Springfield, if you look on the map, Boston, like Massachusetts is as big as a postage stamp. The only <laughs> one that's smaller is Rhode Island, which is underneath yep. us. Uh -huh. And um, people forget, like I've even been up in um, like Rochester, New York, and I showed my ID to these kids. And they're like, you know, in a store, they needed my ID for whatever I was buying. And they're like, where's Massachusetts? I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what? This this country, the youth of America, I think we're going down the toilet. Yeah, they really the, are. And the other kid goes... <laughs> So this kid, he didn't know he was in New York, in upstate New York, and didn't know where Massachusetts was. And the other kid goes, what's, he goes, I know it's a really small state, so it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Who cares where it is? They were serious. Yeah. I had, I had one appalling. of I had one of my teenagers the other day. I won't even, I won't name which one, so I don't totally embarrass them, but uh, asked me how many months till Christmas. This is a high school student. And I was like, well, today's September 20th. So see if you can, and they're like, well, I don't know, what's after, what's next, what's after oh. September? <laughs> like, what are they, what are they teaching you in school? I, I won't name which one it is, but the same the, the one. Mitochondria just, is the powerhouse of the cell. That's all that you need to, that's all you learn in high school is mitochondria. <laughs> yeah, important shit cell. like that. That same kid. <laughs> yes. Not that I, you know, I'm not going to name names, but that same kid just released his second app on the app store that he's designed and coded <laughs> himself. Oh, this, what's this one? This week. So he's able to do that, but doesn't know the order of the months. He asked me if I could put it <laughs> into a what? song for him. Everyone has their niche in this life, you know? I wasn't engaged in high school. I'll be the first one to tell you. I looked out the window waiting for the day to end, I tell you. But, you know, the only thing I did learn there, I did learn to type. 
which mm-hmm. helped me in my court reporting world. But I also, uh, and you should have seen the ancient typewriters we had, OMG. <laughs> they, they're probably in the Smithsonian right now. The ones like, with the little know, arms that go, whoosh, whoosh. and if you type too It was like S. Yeah, and they would do ahead. this. And if you type too fast, they would get all gumbled up and you had to pull them back. That's when we actually feared, like, you know, our teachers, you know? Yeah, and yeah. They, we did what they said. They'd be like S, <laughs> S, S space, S, S, F. You yeah. know, but that helped me. And I learned to change a flat tire. Do you like how I say that, Taya? Yeah. Anything with an R, I'm happy know. with. You know what? Great. The R doesn't exist in Massachusetts. I've noticed. So. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I know when you got her to say park earlier, that was perfect. That yeah, was... Fenway Park. How about call your mother? Yeah. Call your mother. <laughs> There's your mother and your brother. <laughs> So Diane, you are you were a, the, the podcast is super interesting. We're going to get into it in just a minute, but you were you were a court reporter as you just mentioned for thirty years, a stenographer, right? So you're the one like creating transcripts in real time in the courtroom. Um, and uh, what else I know about you is uh, see Erica's notes here say I got nothing is what it says on the notes. <laughs> you must not have a very public online. Internet pro- or Erica was just exploring cocktails across the country this week and couldn't uh, <laughs> find anything about out about you. So I I, I need you to t- tell me about yourself. Okay, yawn. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am born and brought up in a teeny tiny town about eighteen miles south of Boston. Uh-huh. But at a very early age, my mother and father got divorced, and my father moved to downtown Boston on the waterfront, one of those high rises. They all do that when they get divorced. So. Right. At an early age, I was exposed to Boston and the kind of work he had, he had the car in the garage and he had the apartment. Now I turn like 16 and I can drive. Where do you think I went? I was always in town. We call it in town when you go to Boston. And between that apartment with my friends, we raised holy hell. And, you know, we had his car and we had a black and I ran from one end of that city to the other. And I just love Boston. And I, I look back on it now. And if I didn't learn to drive in there at a young age, I would never have the, the gall to actually sit behind a wheel because it's treacherous. And people are they're the rudest drivers in the United States of America, hands down. They don't give you okay. a second. And um, but I just love Boston. I'm a professed foodie. If there's a carbohydrate, I know where it is. Oh, we're I love get along to just fine. I decorate <laughs> I decorate cookies and I, I do a lot of cooking and baking and I, I write restaurant critiques just for fun. I do a lot of yoga. I used to run, but now I'm too old. My knees won't take it. But um other than that, that's it. I come from a big Italian family and when That's you kind of say Perfect. you write restaurant critiques for fun, you just like write them on a notepad in your house? Or are you like yeah, making yeah, like Yelp books. reviews? I have journals. I okay. write the name of the restaurant, the date. But you know what? I have a discriminatory. I, I'm a pain in the neck. I, you know, I tip well because in my former life I was a waitress. But <laughs> I mean, I don't care. My, I don't care if it's a fancy place because fancy is like can be stupid. Right. If it's delicious. You know, my two favorite restaurants have Formica tables and like the people grunt at you when they take your order, (laughs) you know, but if you ever come up, there is a fabulous restaurant in Gloucester, Mass, and it's called the Causeway. You bring your own booze and you go in and it's fresh off the boat. It's an Italian guy. You you know, he has a Uh fishing boat. 
It's so good. I almost start crying. I'm not kidding you. I, I, I bow my head in reverence to these people. <laughs> the food is unbelievable. <laughs> I get so excited about like when I, and I go like all around to bakeries and I write critique. I don't know. I never, I just do it for fun. So you don't publish them anywhere. No. You just have a, a, a list, a, a, an index of all the places you've eaten and what's good and what's not. Yep. That's correct. That's cool. Yep. That's awesome. That that's would, it. Yeah, it's like a food journal. Yeah. Do you do you thumb what? through it? It's like a yeah. Do you like thumb through when you're deciding like you want to go out to dinner? Or are you like, let me see which one of these places <laughs> tickles my fancy for well, your old notes? Well, it's funny. I was looking back recently, and half of them have closed. They didn't weather the storm, oh, you know, yeah. COVID uh-huh. and stuff. But um, I have to just tell you that there's a place in Chinatown in Boston called Faux Pasteur. I know I'm saying it wrong. I went to Vietnam once, and they called Diane. You say I think you say everything wrong. Yes. Or right, or or you say everything right. Maybe she's right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So that you know, it's the chicken soup. But this place is phenomenal. <laughs> she called. She just called pho chicken soup. Basically, chicken soup. That's I'm just saying. Well, you said, just you, saying, and they serve it for flipping breakfast over there. Oh, it's the best. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I I discovered pho. Which listen, by the way. Fuck calling it. It's. I know it's personally pronounced. I know. Fuck. It's spelled P H O. If anybody hasn't had it, it's Vietnamese. <laughs> it's 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 like these incredible rice noodles and broth and and it's meat bone broth. Yeah, it, yeah, delicious. So good. Delicious. Uh, Susan Simpson from the Undisclosed Podcast introduced it to me in 2016 during a non's hearing in Baltimore. Every day we went to this little Vietnamese joint and had pho every day. And every day I'd call it pho. And 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 I maintain this is not my fault because it was like it's pronounced pho, because when I was working in L.A. down in in um, um, South Hollywood, the favorite place that we would go to lunch all the time was called Soho Pho. Now if they're not asking for you to uh. pronounce that. <laughs> it's it's on the sign S O H O P H O, and you're not supposed to say Soho Pho. It's so ho fu. <laughs> Give me a break. Give me it a break. Get the elusive. fuck out of here. Am I right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, they have fa gar and fa bo. One is chicken, one's beef soup. But anyway, just saying. <laughs> now, here's a chicken real Boston. Soup. Can you see what I'm doing here? Is it a Dunkin' Donuts cup? This is. This is. Oh, it is. <laughs> the biggest get, like the biggest giveaway that I'm a Bostonian. This is a Dunkin' Donuts cup. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar. Well, I'm familiar with Dunkin' I mean, Donuts, but not how yeah, it connects to Boston. Dunkin well, you know how they say America runs on Dunkin'? Yes. Boston runs on Dunkin'. Okay. <laughs> and there is a Dunkin' Donuts on every flipping corner in Massachusetts. I'm not kidding you. There's thousands of them. Well, you know why? It's, you because, know what? I think, it's because Phil, what? Dun- Phil Duncan is from... Uh, Boston, uh, who started the Dunkin' Donuts back in uh, 1914 during World War, one hundred percent of that's made up. I just, I was, good. I was like, Mm-mm, you I, uh-uh. I thought he maybe you guys were going to go with it, and then you were both looking at me like, <laughs> no. no shit. No. <laughs> I was like, no, I have no, no idea. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I know was where questioning the first, you. <laughs> I know where the first one was, and I think it was in the 50s in Quincy, Mass, which is a big city kind of near Boston. But the thing is. It's, you know, I love it, but I know it's not like 
real coffee in in the sense that I disagree. when you have like real coffee in a real from a barista, this is like dishwater compared to it's not, but it is delicious. Yeah. When I, I like never cream, I'm always like drink coffee black, but I go to Dunkin' I get cream and sugar because man, they load it up and it is just so good. It is delicious. And and people are like, you should see like the drive-thrus every morning. It's like everyone needs their Dunkin'. A few people go to, well, we do have the, the Starbucks, con, con, you know, that group, but <laughs> by and large, Boston runs on Dunkin', trust me. Yeah, I, you know, I've always said I I really like Dunkin' Donuts coffee, but I've always maintained from my years being a fireman, when you know there's a big coffee drinking community at the fire station, that nobody can fuck up Dunkin' Donuts coffee like Dunkin' Donuts. If you get the beans, <laughs> if you get the beans from the grocery store and you put it, we had a little grinder and you grind up the beans and it's great coffee. Not quite as good when you get it from from Dunkin'. I just learned the other day. Do you know who the number one seller of coffee is? Not grounds or beans, but actual like ordered coffee. The number one seller of coffee is in the United States. McDonald's. Folgers. Erica got it. It's McDonald's. 7-Eleven. Did Mc- I get it? It's McDonald's. <gasps> By a cool, lot. Yeah. By a yeah. lot. People That's go to surprising. McDonald's. Like beating out Starbucks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. People go yeah. through because it's a dollar or something. It's like a buck. People go in and, and McDonald's does have pretty decent coffee. Even it's not they, bad, yeah. They tried yeah. to burn that lady back 15 years ago. Okay, but no, did you, do you know, if you know the details of that case, that lady actually got really hurt. <laughs> like, it's not, it's bad. How did, okay, <laughs> do you know the details of the case? Because this is important. <laughs> Vaguely. <laughs> Explain to me how it's not her fault that she, she got burned with hot coffee. Did Honestly. The, I don't know all the details, but I have, I, I did at one point, and from what I've been told and what I remember, she actually, like, had a pretty good point to make apparently. But I mean, did the person at the drive through (laughs) dump it on her or did they give her a sealed cup of coffee and she poured it on herself? She she did. Well, (laughs) I don't think she did it intentionally, but yeah, I think she dumped it on herself, which I have done as well. Yeah. Uh, So it happens, but they were, I think they were actually serving it like way too. There was something about it where she literally just got ostracized by the media. Apparently I, I, and listen, I get it. (laughs) I did it my very first day as fire chief in the, if you don't know, in in the fire industry, the the (laughs) chief wears a white uniform. Everybody else has blue uniforms. The chief has a white uniform. So my first day I show up to work in my, my perfectly pressed white uniform and, and I'm driving in my fancy chief car that I got. And it's just, it's a big day for me and I've got my coffee and I was driving and somebody called me and I answered my phone in the same hand that I had my coffee in, which I don't even know how I managed to do it, but I had my coffee in the phone and went like this and answered the phone and poured coffee all down the shoulder of my white shirt on the day one. But I didn't get to sue anybody. I was just like, you're a dumbass. So you get to be a dumbass today. (laughs) The litigious society we live in. That's that's right. (laughs) Don't you love that word, litigious? I do like that word a lot. It is a good one. I know a lot of words from being in this profession. I didn't know like a lot of words till I heard like lawyers using them all the time. <laughs> so tell me about this profession because I've always been curious. So there, there's so you're are you retired now? I know you said you used to work for the. Oh, right, do you want the do you want the skinny on the whole thing? Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah, since Erica didn't do her job this week and do any research mm-hmm. at all, just chose not to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were gonna what? I didn't hear that. I what? said yeah because Erica didn't do her job this week and she didn't do any research at all. So I I I don't know the oh. story. 
Usually, oh. see the way this Diane, the way this usually works is I have these secret notes and then I act like I'm just like, oh yeah, I remember like it was what, September when you left work? Cool. And I act like I knew it, but all I've got, I literally, it says I got nothing on the paper. I literally typed it because you are one private person. That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Me? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to find stuff about you on the, on the internet. That's crazy. Yeah. You know what I was you considering doing a TikTok? <laughs> I was going to do a TikTok channel. Do and it. just go like talk about being a court reporter, show the courthouse, tell interesting things about it, and walk around Boston and show my favorite places to eat and go and all that. I don't know, but I mean, I am kind of a little old, and they're they're like mercenary. Those people. Imagine what the comments I'd get to be like. Oh, lady, get off of TikTok. <laughs> you know, you have to have a thick skin. But yeah, it's a bit. I was just as you're saying that, I'm thinking. I'm over here trying to find ways. How can I continue to run my business that operates on the internet? without being on the internet. And you're talking about adding <laughs> social media to it. I hate everyone, not you listening right now, not you, but other people, the shitty things that people say on the internet are just drive me nuts. But yes, I want to hear this, this story. What's the story yeah, the, with the, uh, with the court reporting? Can I just, I'll tell you, but hold that thought. They're sitting in like their mother's cellar without a job overweight, like telling me I'm ugly. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like, really? People do. Sorry. I'll give you an example. This the, uh, on my other podcast, Truth and Justice. This week we put out an episode. It was packed full of data. We re, we actually investigate wrongful conviction cases, right? So we put all this information out, and our fan page with thousands of people on it are all coming. They're like, "Oh, I think this means this and this." And everybody's engaged and da 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 da. And then somebody writes a post, and it always starts with. The same thing, like, I hate to be a complainer, <laughs> but, but it's just like when somebody says, like, no offense. Like, you're going to say something super yeah. offensive right after that, right. always. Like, I hate to be a complainer, but I couldn't follow this episode, and this could have been summed up in a different way. And I don't like the way that it was produced. And it's not even that it hurts my feelings. It, it generally makes me dislike humanity. So I'm like, you didn't yeah. see that... You're one of a hundred thousand people <laughs> that didn't like this, and you apparently hate to complain, and yet you did. You took the time <laughs> to interrupt the conversation to say, "Does anybody else want to want to validate my opinion that I didn't mm -hmm. care for the way this was?" Fuck that guy. I was you know what little, I'm saying? I was feeling a little <laughs> spicy last night, and I happened to see uh, the comment that I think you're talking about, and I had to stop myself, but I almost commented. Because they finished it by saying, like, I don't really like to be a complainer or whatever yeah, they said. Yeah, and yeah. I almost just commented, well, then why did you? <laughs> like, yeah. Why did you were see? you being a I generally just ignore it. But for some reason, I was feeling yeah. salty last night. I was feeling spicy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I, and I put a comment this long. I'm like, at least have the common oh, goddamn no. courtesy to at least just put your complaint. Don't tell me you hate complaining when you oh, took the time it. to complain. <laughs> Honestly. Um, so anyway, that's my feeling on the Internet. Um, so, so, so your life in court reporting. Okay. I went to college completely, completely immature, quit. My father paid for it. That whole bit. He let me go back. I did like another year. I, the whole thing just didn't gel. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to, it's funny when you look back when you have like a, an immature head and then you get older, you look back, you're like, holy crap. But I decided I was going to waitress. So I uh -huh. waitress for a long time. And I wasn't getting any younger. I'm in my 20s. And I'm like, I have to do something. So my brother's girlfriend brings over this steno machine one day. She was in school for it. 
And she opens it up and I'm like, whoa, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in the United States of America. So then my father came home once and he said, I saw something I think you'd be good at today. And I'm like, what? And he said, court reporting. He said, your strong suit is spelling and, you know, typing and, and reading and, you know, that. He said, why don't you try it? So I investigated it and I went to school and um, I ended up being, I wanted to work in court. And oddly enough, most court reporters do not ever step foot in court. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. They do depositions, which are just under oath examinations, mm-hmm. usually in a conference room and a lawyer, they can take place anywhere, but yeah. most of them won't touch court with a 10 foot pole. The days are long and it's complicated. It's really hard. And it's, so most people don't, but I wanted court. So I had an internship in court and I worked as a daily wage worker in court for about 10 years, waiting on a list to get hired by the court, which I ultimately did. So I was on the payroll as a state. I know I know all the comments, you know, you're a state worker. I, I know all that. But anyway, I was a state worker for about 21 years. So all in all, I had like 31 years at the time in court, mostly in Boston, but I bumped around all Massachusetts and I've done everything. I've done juvenile court bankruptcy court, divorce court, you name the court, I've done it. So um, mostly superior court trials I've done. And then in 2018, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts decided to purchase an elaborate recording system out of Australia. The name is For the Record. They installed one in each courtroom statewide and eliminated the 43 of us that were left on the payroll. Now, Am I bitter a little bit because they wouldn't let us go? There were only 43 left of us. They mm-hmm. wouldn't let us go. We asked for attrition. They said no. We they didn't even give us a severance pay. We didn't even get a Snickers bar. We didn't get a cup of coffee. We were just kicked out on our asses. 43 of us. And two weeks, two weeks after we got canned, I got a call from the court asking me to come back as a daily wage worker again. For probably my pay wasn't cut in half, but almost cut in half with no benefits, no, you know, nothing towards a pension, no sick days, no nothing. So they decided that they were going to back up the, the recording system that they paid a ton of money for by using us as a daily wage worker for murders and rapes. So since 2018, I've done murders and rapes, mostly murders. I do about eight murders a year now. Mm-hmm. So um, I do murder trial after murder trial after murder trial. And the do I get enough work? Eh, not really. Is the money good? Meh, I'm telling you. They, they, they annihilated us. And it, it spoke volumes of the little regard they had for the record. Because that for the record... Um, I feel like I'm talking to a therapist right now, but anyway, you are, um, go ahead. How does that make you feel? Are you kidding me? I mean, talk about, and you know what? I don't, I think court reporters are are misunderstood. Mm -hmm. We're in the courtroom and I don't think anyone knows the gravity of just how hard it, you do have one bite at the apple. That word goes over your head and you have to get it. There's so many things that are distracting in a courtroom. Um, and I, a lot of judges, they, they just don't get it. Um, a lot of them do, but a lot of them don't. And it's, it's just, it's just, I don't know. It's disheartening really. So I take another thing. Here's the bad thing about the position I'm in now. The state pays you when the state gets to it. 
You don't get right. a weekly paycheck. You can go months without getting paid. And it's it's in this day and age of technology, I don't know what the the lack of you know continuity is, why they wait so long. They drag their heels to pay you. But anyway, that's a story. But all in all, I'm happy. I, I love my job and you know, I still go to the court. I love my coworkers. Before the uh the new software came out to do it. Did you guys do audio recordings too, to, so that you could back up and clarify what the notes that you typed, or is it one hundred percent? If you didn't type it, it's missed. Okay, let me tell you, I've done both. I've done steno, and I've done what's called voice writing, and I predominantly did voice writing in the superior court, which is me talking into a machine. And when I was introduced to it, I looked at the person and said, "What the hell do you need me for? If you're going to record it, if I ever played you a court recording." proceeding. It sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. I'm not kidding you. Uh-huh. You can't believe how bad it is. So I I transcribe from what I say into an elaborate machine, a recording machine. I identify the speaker and I verbatim. You know what? There's no magic to it. They say that there's going to be a um, that there's a software that takes care of it with voice writing. It's not there. If you're going to write a letter, you can successfully write a letter with using Dragon. But in a court proceeding, you know, I've been on court hearings that literally have had 30 and 40 lawyers in business litigation. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding you. You go in after lunch, there's going to be a 2 p.m. hearing. You open the door, literally there's over 40 lawyers standing there. It's it's insane. So I run around and I say to them, when the hearing starts, if you're going to speak, please state your name clearly before you speak. Because I make a little chart. I'm like, Uh who's this? Who's this? But I mean, when you're in criminal, it's kind of easy. You usually have one district attorney and one defense counsel. Right. Or or two and two. You know, they'll second seat. That's easy. And, you know, the words are easier in criminal. Civil can be really daunting. But, um, But if you're in criminal, they'll be like, you know, where was the car around the corner? Then what did he do? He shot the gun. Like when you're in, in civil, you get, oh my goodness, you get geologists, you get medical examiners, you get um, doctors talking about medical malpractice, intricate things that happen like, you know, in the when they're operating and they're talking about it like it's second nature. And I'm just like, what the heck is going, you know, so I've been known to like chase witnesses down the, down the hallway. And I'm like, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. Usually a, a doctor will like hand you his card. He's like, call me or email me because you, you know, you can, it, it's really hard. It's a hard job. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it is yeah. a, a couple of questions. I have one is those steno machines. So what yeah. are those? So it's, it's a keyboard, but they're not a standard keyboard with letters. What, what are well, the, the buttons? What are the keys? If are, you go, if you walked up to a steno machine and, hit to press the buttons. You know, that old ticker tape, you know, the ticker, it looks like ticker tape yeah. comes out. It it has the letters of the alphabet on it, but it's scrambled up. People think it's symbols. It's not symbols. It's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But here's the, here's the thing that throws people. Not every letter of the alphabet is on that keyboard. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you can't like, and people get freaked out because when they look at the steno machine, they're like, but there's no letters on the keys. But think about, I don't know, did you ever take typing in school? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not looking, even though you have like right now, look at my keyboard. See how it does ASDFJKLSME? Yeah. 
When you're learning to type, you're looking at the text, the copy, you're looking like that. You're not even looking. You learn to type by not looking at the keyboard. Mm -hmm. Same thing with steno. You learn to type by listening to the word. You don't look down. But the thing is, like, for instance, the whole, after you demystify the arcane situation, that's the keyboard on the steno machine, it's easy. The left hand depresses the the start, whatever you hear the word, the beginning of the word is with this hand. Okay. The end of the word, you de- the, the sound of the end of the word, you depress with the right hand. The thumbs are your vowels. You have a, you have a, your plural is your pinky, your right pinky. And then on the top, it has numbers that go across for your numbers. And there's an asterisk. So you can do, for instance, in the English language, here, I'm sitting here. There's hair on my head. Wait a minute. I can't hear you. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So you have to differentiate on the machine three ways. So you have to, like, sometimes, like, you'll hit, you'll spell it the same way, but you'll hit an asterisk, and that means, like, hair on the head. It's crazy. Because you have to do some kind of shorthand, right? Because all the letters aren't on the keyboard. But. They're not on the keyboard, but they are. And I know that sounds wacky. In other words, if you look for a final N, there's no N. But if you hit the P and B with your middle finger, when you see PB, that means N in the end of the word. But if you're doing it, if you need an end at the beginning of the word, you there's an N. It's weird. It, it's you learn it. It's it's bizarre. So the, so the, my, my question is. How is that more efficient than just having a full keyboard and just typing the words? Is it just is it that that much faster to be able to do it with just that shorthand? That's a great question, and I'll tell you the answer to that. Once you learn the theory, in school they tell you to write everything out, and you kind of do. Mm-hmm. But then you learn that you'll never get fast and accurate enough doing that. They teach you what's called brief forms. For instance. If I were to depress on a steno machine, W-H-A-U-R-M simultaneously like this, boom, that means what is your name? So when I hear what is your name, I just go boom, W-H-A-U-R-M, boom. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That makes a, that, that actually makes it more, makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And if I hit um, like F-L-I-F, it means philosophy, boom, philosophy. Court and jury, K-O-R-J. Boop. It means court and jury. So it's, you know, and then you have, you, you, you practice them ad nauseum. You know, if you know, if you go, you know, it, it just, it just, it, it's just endless. It's endless. It's like, a, it's like a whole new language. That's all it is. It's like learning Spanish or French or whatever you, sure. it, it, that's all it is. Yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no problem. Well, with battle.com so <laughs> slash true crime binge. Um, but so so then that that actually makes sense to me because so in in my world I'm always ordering transcripts from stuff when I'm investigating cases and and it oh they always say that if it, if someone has already ordered the transcript like for an appeal then you just pay per page or whatever but if it hasn't been done then you got to cuz you don't you haven't made a transcript you've made a series of shorthand transcript and if I want to or if I need an actual transcript I can read then it has to be converted to a normal transcript. Now, do you do that conversion or does someone else do that? See this room I'm sitting in? Yeah. It's like I do solitary confinement time in women's prison. I'm here for hours, days, nights. 
you, it's very, so, this job is solitary. You spend hours and, you know, transcription, I spend hours I'm on maps, looking up names of streets. I am Googling. Mm-hmm. It's now with the advent of the internet, it's so much easier. Before you have these books, you'd have to look up. I'd be calling CVS going, you know, they mentioned a medicine and it's rhymes with this. What do you think it is? It's for the heart. And they'll tell you, I mean, but it takes people's names. And, you know, when you're trans, when you're in court, people don't, who wants to be in court? Nobody. So they sheepishly will go up to the stand and they talk like this and they mm-hmm. cry and they turn their head and they have an accent and people speak over each other. The fire truck goes by. You have no, Oh my God. It is. It's hard. It's hard. And so that, so that, and that's you as a court reporter, that's your job. If when they say, okay, you've taken all the notes. Now we want a full transcript. You're the one that makes that transcript. And they're hundreds of pages long per day. You know, right. Like mm-hmm. when I do, I just finished one. I was at it. I proofread it from two in the afternoon, Saturday to 12, 15 a.m. Just proofread it. And it was 306 pages. Mm-hmm. And it was wall to wall colloquy. It wasn't Q&A. It was legal mm. argument. Oh, my God. They were they were naming like they kept naming different cases. And all, they kept saying in the matter of the grand jury. Like, what the hell does that mean? It was the name of a case. Then they kept saying HDO. They kept saying these acronyms and all these officers' names, and they had to go to the police department thing and try to figure out who they were. I mean, it takes forever to mm-hmm. plug that stuff in. I bet forever. Oh yeah. So so let's talk about your podcast now. So you have taken all those thirty-one years that you've been doing this and started a podcast called All Rise. You started in December of twenty twenty. And each episode, you kind of break down a case that you actually sat in, uh, yeah. and did the ended the court record for. So how did how did you get the idea? What made you decide to to start a podcast? Well, um, I wrote a book, about, you know, like a memoir of being a court reporter, mm-hmm. and you know, everyone writes a book, you know, one time <laughs> or another, or they want to write a book. So mm-hmm. I write this book, and I have this neighbor. He's a child. He lives across the street from me. And he's a child book author. He has an indie bookstore here. His name is Peter H. Reynolds, by the way. But anyway, he um, he said to me, why don't you just do a podcast? And I'm like, this is during the pandemic. And I'm like, you know, that's a great idea. And then I happened to look, I got this email during the pandemic from Boston Casting. Because in 2013 or 14, I was an extra as a court reporter on a Warner Brothers movie. Oh, wow. I ended up on the cutting room floor. I was on the on the uh-huh. movie set for three weeks. Uh-huh. And I can see myself in six scenes and I am a black dot, but I know it's my head. <laughs> so anyway, I had I had a blast. They wanted a real court reporter and I did it. So anyhow, I was still on their on their um, mailing list. And they were having a podcast class. So I signed up for it and I did it. And one of the, there were three instructors, one of which was um, Jordan Rich. He's a local radio personality here in Boston, WBZ, 1030 AM. And at the end of the class, I was putting my podcast together. I had a few, you know, hiccups and he helped me. And then he said, do you want to just do it together? It sounds like a really great 
thing. I'd love to, you know, why don't we team up together? He has a, the whole bit. He has a, a studio and everything. Uh-huh. And ever since then, we've been, we've been doing it. Yeah, it, it's great. And it's, it's very interesting. And of course you get your lovely accent, um, <laughs> which, which makes it just all that much better. Um, so now release wise, I wasn't able to figure out, do you, do you just release, what is your release schedule? Cause it doesn't look like you release like on a particular day every week. My release schedule is atrocious. Okay. I'm just <laughs> going to tell you because that is indicative of the life of a court reporter. Because first of all, there's a couple of things. It, it, it's really, um, when you're a court reporter that you can't plan, it's like, I think I'm going to, you know, do something and then you get a call, you got to get to court or you get to court and then it, it cancels. Right. So it's erratic, but I have to also go by Jordan's schedule. And he is that podcast studio that he's in is really jammed. Mm-hmm. So I have to wait till, you know, I have to get, you know, an hour, you know, that he's available. So that, and then, you know, the show notes, I have to write them and then I have to, you know, by the time I, then I have to upload, I have to take the podcast and give it to yet another guy and he has to upload it. So it depends on a lot of different things. Right. So it's just when you are, have the opportunity, you put out new episodes. Yeah. Like I have one and actually of all things, I'm going to Morocco in a few days. Can you believe it? Out of nowhere, I'm going to Morocco, but um, I'm going to Morocco and I have one, as they say, in the can. Uh huh. And I'm trying to get it published before I leave. So I'm I'm working hard on that. So like I'll be gone for two weeks and I have a judge lined up. He's going to come on the second half of October and he's going to speak on my podcast. But by the time we record it and by the time I edit it, but you know, that'll be the beginning of November. So, you know, I right. do work full time and then some, so it's mm-hmm. hard to, yeah, it's, it's hard. T- it's tough to get him in there, but you've, you've put out a bunch of, ep- how, do you know how, what the total is number of episodes? Cause your episodes aren't numbered. 30. 30 or 31. And I have a couple that I did, but I held them back for one reason or another. Uh-huh. Like one of the judges didn't like the idea I was publishing it and it's, it's all public record, but I don't want to, you know, wrestle any feathers. And I kind of said, I'll hang back on it. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, cause I think it's too new because everything that I talk about is ancient in the sense that it already, adjud- it's been adjudicated. It went through the appellate process and it's hit a, it's not going to go any further. Right. And I, I have a ton of material I'm dying to talk about, but I just think it's too new and too fresh. And I don't want to, you know, it's sensitive people are, mm-hmm. you know, and they're victims and stuff. So I just like time to pass before I'll talk about, but I mm-hmm. do talk about like being a court reporter, like, in the courthouse, what it's really like there day to day. Sure. And and you break. So the case we're going to talk about today is one that you covered. And it's just as you described, some time has passed. Uh, this was the the murder of Mary Lou. Is it Aruda? That's exactly correct. Yeah, Mary Lou Aruda. She was uh, murdered September 8th, 1978. Uh, and her killer went through four trials. You sat in and, and uh, were the court reporter on trial number four, the last one. Um, so, so why don't you tell us about this case? What are the kind of the basics of this one? Disturbing, disturbing, mm-hmm. disturbing. Um, Mary Lou Aruda was a young lady. She was about 15 or 16, and she lived in a beautiful little town off of Route 24, if you're from this area, called Rainham, Massachusetts. And I'll tell you, I met her family during the trial. They were they were just lovely people. She First day of school, you know, I mean, the first week of school, like school started on Wednesday, it's Friday, it's September, 
She said to her older brother, I'm not getting off with you at our bus stop. I'm going one more stop. I'm going to go retrieve my bicycle at my friend's house. I left it there yesterday. Take my books. Mm -hmm. He did. She goes to her friend's house. Her friend is watching a um, soap opera. And her brother comes along and they all had lollipops and they're standing around talking. And Mary Lou said, I'll see you later tonight at cheerleading practice. And her friend said, okay. Mary Lou hopped on her bike and proceeded to go home. There was a small part of the road that was kind of, there weren't any, at that, it wasn't, it was gravel and it wasn't, um, there weren't any houses there. Mm-hmm. And what they theorized happened was this monster, he's now deceased, he died in prison. James Cater was in his vehicle and he opened the door and he asked, he got out of his vehicle, asked her some like, where is such and so directions? He abducted her. They found her bicycle there. Mm -hmm. Actually, the boy she had shared the lollipop with moments before was a paper boy. And he went on his route to deliver the paper and found her bike on the gravel road, called out her name, couldn't find her. He took her bike and brought it home and left it on the side of her house and just walked away. You know, he didn't know the difference. Mm -hmm. But this James Cater, just me, these criminals, he's in a screaming bright green (laughs) opal with a distinctive black stripe on the, wouldn't you want to fly into the radar if you're going to abduct (laughs) someone? I mean, please. Right. So probably from the moon, they could see this car. And anyway, he's in this stupid car and he grabs her. Drives about 20 miles to Freetown, Mass, to Freetown State Forest. And, you know, she disappeared. It was like the biggest thing. I mean, anyone that was alive at that time remembers this. In Massachusetts, it was the hugest thing. She wasn't found until two months later in early November. Two young kids on like dirt bikes going through the woods found her. And she was tied to a tree. And James Cater had somehow in like this, he put like in a semicircle, took all her personal items and, you know, I don't know why he did that. But when they found her, she was decapitated, you know, her head had come off and it was just, it was awful, but he is a creep and a half. And I can tell you how they found him and how they know how they put together the pieces, if you would like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this trial, the fourth trial that finally nailed his ass for lack of a better term. He had done the same thing to another young female years before up in the Northern part of Massachusetts, near New Hampshire. I want to say it was Andover Mass or Boxford Mass. He was, a, I think he was in his thirties. There was a young girl on a bike. He stopped his car. She lived to tell the story. That's how they know all about this. Mm-hmm. She said she was on her bike. He was Outside his vehicle, he asked her where directions were, and she stepped forward to say, like, you know, it's down that way. He grabbed her, put her in the car, drove her to a wooded area, made her get out of the car, told her to march into the woods. As she's marching, he takes a tire iron and hits her over the back of the head and splits her head open. They get into the woods, and he took her to a brook and put her face down and he tried to drown her. He held her head down under the water and she testified, I knew I was going to die and I had to do something. She reached up her hand, 
grabbed his eyeglasses and threw them. And he let go of his grip on her neck. And she ran like heck. And doesn't he catch up to her? He puts her back in the car and drives her deeper into the woods. He tries to rape her, but he can't. Ties her to a tree. She passes out. He thinks she's dead. She's not dead. And he takes off. She comes to on the tree, wiggles herself out of her restraints. Can you imagine this? Poor kid, high school kid. Nice girl, too. When they found her, when they located her, she was married with children living in the Mid-Atlantic state somewhere. Massachusetts flew her back up for this trial. It was the first trial of the four that she was allowed to testify. Anyway, she got on the stand and she said that she wiggles herself out of the restraints. Now, can you imagine? Her clothes are ripped to shreds. Her head is profusely bleeding. Her head was really split open badly in the back. She had bloodshot eyes. She was a wreck. She ran and ran and came upon a neighborhood. There was a woman on her hands and knees planting flowers in her yard and looks up and here's this girl. Can you imagine? So they got her to a hospital. They found James Cater and he went to prison for, I think, seven years. Gets out of prison, is in outpatient. We have what's called Bridgewater State Hospital here. Mm-hmm. He was in day, you know, part of his thing was he had to go to this treatment. That's what brought him down to Mary Lou Arruda's neck of the woods, that part of Massachusetts, which is very far from where he did his first horrific crime. So he got his eye on her and he grabbed Mary Lou and did the same thing, but she wasn't as lucky. Well, it's an awful story, and thank God he finally because he was he got convicted uh, and then had that overturned, and then he was retried yep. in eighty six, found guilty yep. again, got that overturned uh, by claiming that witnesses testified under hypnosis, which is super bizarre. Uh, and then third trial was a mistrial, and then finally in his fourth trial in ninety six, that's the one you worked on. He got convicted, uh, yep. and then he died uh, from cancer in prison in twenty sixteen. It's a super interesting story. There's certainly a lot more to it, and you can get the full story along with about 30 others on the podcast, All Rise. Her name is Diane Godfrey, and again, that podcast is called All Rise. Check it out. Super interesting, super unique. Very well could be your next big true crime binge, and thank you so much, Diane, for joining me. It's been a blast getting to know you. Thank you. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Kelly Barron's Brink. Our production manager and co-host is Erica Cantor. Music and show artwork was created by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com and episode artwork is created by John Hayes. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is truecrimebinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. Make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. And thank you so much for listening. And make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.